Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, the dramatic opening chapters of the book of Ezekiel present us with an account of the prophetic call and commission of the prophet who's been exiled to Babylon in 598 BC, along with the king, his royal entourage, and a number of Judah's important families and citizens. What follows this dramatic introduction is an account of Ezekiel's doom and judgment, his message of doom and judgment. This message takes many forms and continues nonstop until chapter 25, when the prophecies against the foreign nations begin. The message Ezekiel both proclaims and enacts is quite simple. The land of Judah and the city of Jerusalem are going to be attacked a second time by the Babylonians, and those in Judah are going to suffer more destruction and devastation than they had experienced in 598 BC. Ezekiel's message is very harsh, but it's also very curious because it is given to Jews who had already experienced God's judgment and were now living in exile, and most of them were likely suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Their lives had been shattered, and they were certainly asking questions about why they were there and how long the exile would go on and where God was in their very messy lives. They were likely jealous of those left behind and they were certainly anxious to return. They had likely been living in exile for about five years at this point and they were certainly not expecting another Babylonian invasion of Judah and a second siege and the total destruction of their beloved temple and city. The author of Psalm 137 expresses their feelings well. By the waters of ba by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. God's people exiled in Babylon would not have been pleased to hear Ezekiel's message of doom and judgment because it meant that God's judgment on the people in Judah was not over. It also meant they weren't returning home. Soon, at least. Like many other Old Testament prophets, Ezekiel used a number of different ways to communicate God's message. More than any other Old Testament prophet, Ezekiel uses sign actions, or sign acts, or what we today might call street theater, to communicate God's shocking message that Jerusalem was about to, become, to come under siege, and those living in Judah would experience hunger and eventually be sent into exile where they would live among a, an unclean people. Ezekiel was a very effective communicator. He was, as Ronald Clements suggests, very attentive to the visual side of proclaiming truth. 
Ezekiel believed that people must see in order to believe. Ezekiel chapter 4 contains three dramatic, dramatic sign actions. The first one, it God asks Ezekiel to set up a kind of model war game. He was to take a block of moist, unbaked clay and draw a map of Jerusalem on it using a stick or perhaps even his finger. Then he was to build around the model of the city a siege wall, a ramp, battering ramps, and enemy camps. But the war game model was not yet complete as Ezekiel was to separate himself from the city under siege by placing a heavy iron pan or cooking griddle between himself and his model. Anyone looking at Ezekiel's model would figure out its message. They'd all lived through Nebuchadnezzar's siege of Jerusalem. They knew Nebuchadnezzar's tactics had worked well as a way to weaken their resistance, and they knew he could do it again. Ezekiel's model communicated that God's punishment was not yet over, they weren't getting back home soon, and their friends and relatives in Jerusalem were facing a disastrous future. But the model also indicated another frightening thought. Just as the pan that separated Ezekiel from the city, God was also outside the city, and perhaps, as Christopher Wright suggests, God himself was Judah's real enemy. We're not told how Ezekiel responded to this particular message. Perhaps some took his message to heart, but most would have questioned his sanity. So instead of preparing for the worst, they chose to believe the more positive message of the false prophets, like Jeremiah's nemesis Hananiah, who was promising the breaking of the yoke of the king of Babylon, the return of the vessels to the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried off to Babylon, and the return of the king and all the exiles in Jeremiah 28. In any case, Ezekiel was not done with street theater, and his second performance is even more dramatic. It continues the theme of siege, and Ezekiel's action this time consists of lying on his left side for 390 days, and then on his right side for 40 days. The significance of these numbers is debated. One possibility is that the numbers added together represent the duration of the coming siege of Jerusalem. A second possibility is that the numbers correspond to the years of the captivity of Israel and Judah. A third possibility is that the 309 days symbolized the four centuries of Israel's unremitting national sin, beginning with the reign of Solomon, and the 40 days represent 40 years that the generation of Jews would spend in exile. Though the significance of the numbers may be unclear, the message was very clear and harsh. God had not finished judging the covenant-defying people Israel. The judgment would go on for a very long time. There is yet a third sign act in this chapter, and this third sign features Ezekiel's bread and is perhaps the best-known sign act. Today, we 
find ads for Ezekiel's bread on the internet. And one claims that Ezekiel's bread is, quote, as healthy as bread gets, because it is a type of sprouted bread made from a variety of whole grains and legumes that have started germinating. But the recipe for the bread God asks Ezekiel to make is not presented as a healthy alternative <laughs> for God's people living in Judah to consume. On the contrary, the recipe produced a small eight-ounce loaf made with grains and legumes, the ones that were available during the time of siege. Ezekiel was to take wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, and spelt, and put them together in a storage jar. Then each day he was lying on his side, he was to make a loaf, small loaf of bread and eat it and drink more than half, only as half, half a liter of water. This was a starvation diet. If this is all Ezekiel ate and drank during the day for 430 days, his community would have watched him grow thinner and thinner every day. Ezekiel's tenacity would have either underscored people's opinion that he was nuts, or they would have been pushed to take his message seriously. Certainly, when the news of the fall of Jerusalem came to Babylon in 587, they all recognized that Ezekiel was a true prophet. There's a part of this last sign act, however, that needs to be considered. Verse 12 of Ezekiel 4 presents us with an interpretive challenge that is glossed over in most modern translations, which read, as we read this morning, you shall eat it, that is the bread, as a barley cake, baking it in their sight on human dung. The Hebrew, however, reads literally, a barley cake you shall eat, and on bits of human excrement you shall bake it, as they watch you. Is this a second baking challenge for Ezekiel? Was he to make a barley cake as well as bread? It's possible. But I'm going to follow the majority of translators and commentators here and read the verse as God's instructions about how to bake this particular bread. This means that Ezekiel's small loaf was not simply to communicate something about the difficulty of life under God's impending judgment, but it was to communicate something about uncleanness. It was to reveal to those who were sitting comfortably in Jerusalem that they would soon be living a non-kosher life in Babylon. Ezekiel's outrage is not surprising. After all, he was a prophet, and he was trained to be a priest. He was very sensitive to issues of ritual cleanliness. How could he possibly eat bread baked on human excrement? So Ezekiel protests. No, not so, sovereign Lord. I have never defiled myself. From my youth until now, I have never eaten anything found dead or torn by animals. No unclean meat has ever entered my mouth. God's response to Ezekiel's pushback is somewhat surprising. He says, okay, I will let you bake your bread over cow manure 
instead of human excrement. Well, perhaps cooking on cow dung sounds disgusting to those of us who are in a postmodern situation living in a city. But we need to know that cow manure mixed with straw was a common fuel for cooking fires in the ancient world and is used still today in some places. So God's concession to Ezekiel's outrage, outrage means that the symbolic significance of this particular sign action was changed. The small multigrained and legume bread baked on cow dung, together with a small drink of water Ezekiel had each day, would now symbolize the short shortage of food during the siege. It would not necessarily communicate the idea of uncleanness. Well, what does all this mean? The three sign acts, or acts of street theater, featured in Ezekiel 4, were meant to communicate a specific message to God's people in exile. They were meant to hear that God's judgment upon his people was not over. They were also meant to hear that God had not abandoned them in exile. They were there for the long haul, and they would soon be joined by God's people still living in Judah. The third sign act also became a teaching moment for God's prophet Ezekiel. He was not willing to obey God's command to consume bread baked on human dung, and he pushed back. And God graciously heard his cry and changed the plan. This was undoubtedly a teaching moment for Ezekiel. Ezekiel learned that the God who was communicating with him was not only a holy God who had plans for his people, but he was also a God of empathy and compassion who understood Ezekiel's desire to remain ritually pure, and so God modified the message. The message of this chapter, however, is not locked into the past, but it continues to speak to us today. It reminds us, first of all, that sin has consequences. God did not tolerate the covenant-breaking people of the past, and he does not take sin lightly today. Second, this chapter invites us to consider God's call on our lives. Sometimes God calls us to do something, some things that our culture, our friends, our families think are outrageous. We have three examples of such outrageous requests in this chapter, and Ezekiel was willing to do almost all of them. When he did push back, God listened, God felt his pain, God empathized with his prophet, and God modified the plan. This portrait of empathetic, listening God reminds us of our great high priest Jesus who empathizes with us in our weakness as Hebrews reminds us. This reality gives us confidence then to approach God's throne of grace with all our concerns, with our sense of being overwhelmed sometimes with what seems to be an impossible call, with our sense of dismay, with our outrage, and even with our anger. Because God is with us, 
and we can bring all this before God's throne of grace because we, like Ezekiel, can find mercy and grace in our time of need. Amen.